chairs out, put some tables up, and, and eat together. Uh, it was great last night. Jill and I went to uh, Sohai's production of Annie. I see some cast, cast uh, some of the cast in the audience today. So I just got inspired by actually this morning rewrote uh, my message in the form of a musical. So we're going to start, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar. I'm a false prophet. He's not. I don't know. He's coming back tomorrow. I don't. Don't. I didn't say that, right? I didn't say that. Uh, you didn't hear that from me. Cut the live stream, Josiah. Cut the live stream. All right. We're glad to have you here. My name is Justin, one of the pastors, uh, lead teacher here at Peninsula Grace. See a lot of new faces this morning. We're glad you're here with us. And it's always good to gather to worship our God. Uh, excited about this new series we're going to be launching into this morning. Uh, talking about our vision uh, going forward as a body. Uh, but I want to start out with talking about the good life. So as a, a little thought experiment here, if you would help, this helps us focus if we close our eyes. So if you close your eyes, don't worry, we're not going to steal any un involuntary tithe money from you in this point. So close your eyes. And I want to think, I want you to Im imagine for a moment what your perfect life would look like. So the genie comes to you, says, I'm going to grant any wish that you want. Let me take your order, jolt it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. So imagine your good life. Who, who is there with you in that life? Aw, thanks for having me along. Who are you with? What are the things that you're doing in, in that life? What's job look like? What's, maybe you don't work at all. Maybe that's your good life. What, where, are you go, where are you having this good life? Are you traveling? Are you in a new place? Are you in this place? Who's there? What are you doing? Where are you going? Now, make it a little bit, keep, keep thinking. I want to make it a little bit more realistic. What is your version of the good life that's actually in your control? So no genie, just, just you changing your life. Over the next 10, 20, 50 years, what's the good life look for you? What's that look like? And from where you are right now, what changes would need to be made in order to get to that destination? What, what changes, what, what direction, what, 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 what decisions need to be made? How do you steer the rudder to aim that ship toward the golden shores of what you believe to be the good life? You can open your eyes up. So this morning, we want to we wanna cast a vision. We want to talk about uh, what we're calling the, the, oh, there's the genie. Uh, want to talk about, where's my, there we are. Want to talk about the next 10 years here at Peninsula Grace and the direction that we believe God is taking us. Uh, we want to look and say what, and over the next 10 years, what, what, course are we charting as, as a body according to God and his word? So to talk about that, well, what is vision? We want to start by talking about what, what that word even means. Of course, it's the ability to see, but when we're looking ahead, uh, what does it mean to cast vision? Well, vision, it's said in the dictionary, is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination and wisdom. So you see these two words. You're thinking about the future with imagination. So what do you, you just did this in your thought experiment. What do you imagine the good life to be? And then wisdom. Like what would be the wise choice? What is the wisest path for us to go ahead or the wisest course to chart to get to that good life? It was interesting. I just typed in on, on Miriam Webster's website. I just typed in the good life. And this is the entry that came up. I'm not making this up. The kind of life that people with a lot of money are able to have. Said she started off poor, but then how did it say? She said she grew up poor, but now she's living the good life. Webster, you materialistic dog. All right, so then it says a happy and enjoyable life. 
So what Webster's is saying is that in order to have the good life that you enjoy, that you find happiness in, you got to have money. Now, here's the deal. If that's what you believe, then you're going to cultivate a life as your heart compass starts heading toward the true north of needing money for happiness. How are you going to build your life? Well, it's going to be around having money, saving money, spending money. So you got to get a good education so that you can get a good job. So that why? So you can be financially set. Direct. Now, maybe for you, it's not money. Maybe it's just being with the people you love. Maybe as you were picturing that, you were picturing Thanksgiving dinner and all the people that you love are around you. Maybe for a lot of you, you're like, we moved to Alaska for the exact opposite reason. Like, I want to be in the woods all alone. That's the good life, right? Hurry up, wrap up your sermon so I can go back to utopia, all right? Or maybe the type A's in this room, you're like, I want, I want to be successful. I want to move up the ladder at work. I want to have a career that really that fulfills me. I think all of us could agree we want less worries and problems in our life. We want an unhindered path toward happiness and its pursuit. We all have a version of the good life in our heads. We all have a story that we're telling ourselves and living out. Now, maybe for you, it's not conscious. Maybe you've never said out loud, this is what I believe the good life to be. But listen, all of us have habits. All of us, uh, every single day, we have rhythms in our lives. And those are taking us in a direction. And the habits that we're cultivating are leading us in the direction of some sort of what we believe to be this good life. But here's what I found in my own life. I'm terrible at figuring out, if it's left to my imagination and my wisdom for the good life, I'm a moron. Right? I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. And I'm gonna, if I'm steering my own ship, I'm going to shipwreck myself over and over and over again. So if we're going to say, well, Lord, where are you taking us? We've got to start with prayer. We've got to be humble and ask God to lead us. So I want to start this morning. Would you pray with me? You bow your heads. Father God, we humbly come before you today. Lord, we on our own do not have the wisdom to take the next right step today, let alone for 10 years. And so we just pray. We humbly ask that you would give us the ability to see, to see as you see, to desire as you desire. Lord, would you help us move into the future, that you would capture our imagination with your wisdom, with your direction, not our own understanding that we lean on. Father, we fear you and trust you and obey you. Would you give us your vision for your glory by your grace? And all God's people said, amen. So, so where do we start with this? you know where we're going to start with a 10-year vision. We're starting with seeds, right? Of course, right? So cliched. I believe the seed doesn't get enough love. You've got to respect the seed. It is the, one of the most selfless organisms that I know of. Do you, do you know where plants come from? Where do plants come from? You guys are good. But when you dig up a plant, do you see the seed anywhere? You do not. And do you know why? Because that selfless little seed died the most noble seed death in order that the plant may flourish and bloom. Right? You didn't know that your pastor was also a botanist. Right? I wear many, many hats in this role. Um, the seed had potential for life, but it needs help outside of itself to get that. Somebody had to plant that seed. Someone had to water the seed. Someone had to sunshine that seed and help it grow. The seed in its own seed form can't produce fruit, but if it dies to itself, it can become something that's life-giving. But the seed has another option, doesn't it? The seed can stay all by itself. It can, it can, it can just stay a seed and say, I want to preserve my little seed life. I'm going to take out some seed insurance and make sure that I'm safe. I'm going to build a little seed moat around my seed castle, 
and just look out for number one. Now, if, if the seed takes that mentality, what's going to happen to that seed? It's going to stay all alone. It will not bear fruit, and eventually it will just rot and remain there as a seed corpse for the rest of all time. Sad little seed, right? <laughs> Poor guy. In, Matthew, in, in, excuse me, in John 12, Jesus teaches us this truth. He says, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself. It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces what? Much fruit. He says, here's your application. The one who loves his life will lose it. You try to keep your own life, preserve your own life, you're going to lose it. But the one who hates his life in this world, not hates themselves, but hates the, the current version of this, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus says, if you want to really live, it's taking your eyes off of yourself, putting them on me and following me. So what does it look like to live? Well, by definition, I love Dallas Willard, uh, one of my favorite authors, and he has some great definitions. I love the way he explains what life really means to, to live, whether it's the seed or, or our own lives. He says, life is an inner power to reach and live beyond, to relate, to reach beyond oneself and to relate, to be, have a relationship. Anything with life in it can flourish only if it abandons itself to what lies beyond it. Human life cannot flourish as God intended it to if we see ourselves as on our own, and especially when we struggle to preserve ourselves that way. He says, if you live in a way that puts yourself first, that it's looking out for your own self-preservation, he says, it's not life, it's not flourishing. When we are in isolation from God and not in the proper social bonds with others, we cannot rule the earth for good. The idea is absurd. We just came out of the covenant series. God created us to bear his image. And he says, if we do not reach beyond ourselves to others and to our God, we are not tapping into the good life that God created for us. I think Jesus and Dallas are saying the same thing. There are two stories that we can live out here on earth, two versions of what we might try to consider the good life, or to say it another way, it's a tale of two kingdoms. And the first kingdom that the world offers is a kingdom of self-preservation. That's the kingdom where I'm trying to be the king of my own life. I'm the seed king, and, and life is simple, and I just want to try to give myself the best life possible. Your best seed life now. It's the Joel Osteen sequel. It's coming out soon. To keep your own seed alive, to keep it feeling happy and G-O-O-D, right? Looking good, feeling good, seeking validation from the other seeds, living a productive, successful life, and avoid any damage or decay, right? Live as long as you can, as best as you can. Put Looking out for numero uno. But Jesus wants to ask in this passage, how is that working for us? When we try to put ourselves first, he says, just like that seed, what is the result? The result is loneliness. The, the result is misery, right? It's isolation. And by definition, it's death. It's a separation from everything else. You look around, you can say, whether it's in Hollywood or, or across the street, is anybody living for themselves actually finding happiness and enjoyment? That's the one option, that's the one life, that's the one kingdom. The other kingdom that Jesus invites us into is the kingdom of self-sacrifice, kingdom of self-sacrifice. Ironically, it's in this kingdom that we say the best thing for me is to forget about me. That the best thing for me is to reach beyond, to die to myself, reach beyond myself to those outside of me, ultimately to my God and to those around me. Dying, Jesus says, is where the real living starts 
But remember that the seed did not have the power to plant itself, to water itself, to sunshine itself. The inner power to reach beyond is not within us who are born dead in sin. But the beautiful news of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Romans 6 says it this way, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what it's saying, consider yourselves. Believe this to be true. Not because if you consider it, it will be true. This is what's already been done for us in Christ. That in Christ, we died with him to our old sinful way that put our own seed selves first. And when we were buried with him in the ground, it says out of that, we're raised with Christ to a fruitful life. The power to reach beyond ourselves to God and those around us is found in the person of Christ Jesus alone. So our purpose, if we're going to look for, what, what is the purpose of my life? What, what course are we supposed to chart? It's got to start with God. Our purpose in our lives starts with God himself. We cannot know what we're here for without consulting the one who made us in the first place. And so we look at Colossians 1. It's this beautiful hymn that is all about Jesus. One of the most beautiful passages on the person and, and supremacy of Jesus you'll find in your Bible. And one of the verses, verse 16, it says it this way. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and have been created for Jesus. It says Jesus made us and therefore our purpose and our very life source must come from him. So I brought this light. This is, this is the lamp from my uh, office next door. I brought it here with you, removed the shade. I've got a shadeless light. Not only am I a botanist, I'm also an electrician. You just, so much you didn't know about me, right? So we know, I know some basic things that when this, if this lamp is not plugged in to its life source, it can give no light, right? It remains to itself. It is a bulb, it exists, but it cannot fulfill its intended purpose if it is not charged into the power source. But if it is connected to an electric current, Justin said, let there be light. <laughs> there was light. Plugged into its power source, it can give light. And what's this light for? It's not just for itself. It's to give me light as I study my sermon to preach to you guys, right? This light is intended to bless others with the ability to see. And in Ephesians 2, it says the same thing, that before Jesus came, we were born into this world dead. We were born disconnected from God, unable to fulfill our intention or God-designed purpose Jesus came, he said, to be raised with Christ, to be connected to our power source, we are now able, just like this light bulb, to be able to give light to this dark world. And there is a substance. This, this light gives, this light doesn't come from this the, the bulb, right? It's, it's an energy that comes through it and, and, and from, it's not of it, it's through it and in it. And just like that, in our, we go out with our own bodies into this world to give it light, not a power that comes of us, but in and through us, through the person of Jesus. And this connects us, that's going to drive me crazy. This connects us with the last series that we just went through. We talked about that life is to reach beyond ourselves into covenant with God. That God has called us into this beautiful partnership as, as his creation. And we can only find through Jesus entrance into that covenant relationship, into this kingdom of self-sacrifice. And in this kingdom, Jesus is the king. He's the Lord, our new Lord and master and king. So we have to ask, well, what does Jesus say that our purpose is? 
The Sadducees and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22 asked the same question. They tried to stump Jesus, and they said it this way, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? They didn't think he'd be able to figure it out. He didn't even have to bat an eye. He told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. What are we created for? What are we designed for? What's the, what's the most important thing for us to do in our lives is to love God. And so if this is our purpose, then we have to ask, we have to ask, why do we love God? And what does it look like to love him? Three things we want to look at this morning. First of all, we love God for his own sake. We love God for his own sake. Dallas Willard again says it well. We love something when we promote its good for its own sake. So in other words, if we say, God, I will, I will love you, I'll do what you say, so that I can just get what I want, who's really God in that scenario? He just becomes our genie again, right? We whip him out whenever we need something for our own good, and he'll grant our wish, and we're thankful for that. But that's not love. If you love someone just for what you can get out of it, then that's not love. That is not self, that's self-serving. We're back to that preserving seed and an unlit bulb. So what does it look like? Why do we love God? We love God because he is worthy of our love and because he first loved us. I love this scene in Revelation 4. It looks ahead when, when everybody's gathered around the throne of God. Every eyeball is on him and they're praising him in love. Why? Because he's worthy. It says Revelation 4.11, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. It says the reason that we love our maker is because he's worthy of our praise. And to love God is to give ourselves to God. By definition, the sacrifice is to offer ourselves to God in love. And we said already the definition of living is to give, reach beyond ourselves to someone else, to our maker. But at the bottom of it all, what we, what we see here is to love God is to enjoy God. To love our God is to enjoy our God, which takes us to the second point, that actually loving God is also for our own sake. That we love God for his sake primarily, but it also is for our own sake. I love David's heart in Psalm 63. He says it this way as he opens. He says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And maybe that's how you come in this morning. You are thirsty but you feel like you're living in a dry and desolate land. He says, I, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Better than preserving myself, it's to give myself to you. It's where I find life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Do you hear what David is saying here? He says, I have searched the world over and I've only found one that satisfies me. I've, like his son Solomon, we could try all the other dead ends. But man, we know all of the other sources that we try to power into fail us. And we can try our hardest to, to run off the praise of other people. That's an easy one for me as a people pleaser. If I get enough validation, I feel good about myself. If I could get off this stage, you could give me the world's greatest compliment for my message. And you do that. Go ahead. I'm not saying you can't. I'm feeling good for three seconds. Then the fourth second, I'm back to reality. That's not going to sustain me, right? We know that. But we try with so many things. 
career success, even success in ministry. We, we try to find it in, in, in the right version of our family life. We try to find it in the substances. And we try to find it in sex. We try to find it in money. We know those are all dead ends that will not satisfy. But here's the amazing truth. As we love God and praise him, that's where we truly find ourselves satisfied by him. So think about it this way. If I come up to my wife and I'm like, here, I got you some flowers because how awesome you are. I'm supposed to do that as a good husband. She's just like, man, it's just like the honeymoon all over again, right? Like you just swept me right off my feet, big guy. No. To honor her the best is to delight to give to her, to delight to be with her. Now, love is a duty, right? So we do things even when we don't feel them. But the way that I most honor her is delighting in that duty, to want to love her. And, and, and we see this with, with John Piper. He says it so well. You probably heard his famous saying, God is most glorified in us when? When we are most satisfied in him. Do you see how those two things are inextricably linked? That God's glory, he receives the most glory when we are the most satisfied in him. So you think about it this way. Uh, we, we, we love, we as a, as a family, we love plants, right? Equally, just equally love them. And uh, we have a lot of plants in, in our home. And these, I've noticed that these plants, I never had plants before as a bachelor, didn't own a plant. That wasn't how I rolled. But these plants, they all reach for the sun, right? So they're sitting along the windowsill and all of them are like pressed against the window, especially this time of year. Sometimes I'll come out in the morning and I will find my Californian wife doing the exact same thing. She's just plastered to the window like, sun, I need it. Like one of those little suction cup dolls on the window, right? I'm like, yeah, come on, honey. You gotta go to work. Um, but we, what's happening there? The plant is finding its pleasure, its life source in the sun. The, 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 the plant knows the best thing for me is to reach out to that sun. It's praising the sun and finding pleasure in the sun. It's the best thing for it. And we're gonna sing the song after the sermon. It's the old hymn. I just I love the words. Joyful, joyful. Lord, we adore thee. We praise you. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. We die to self and we reach out to you in praise and pleasure, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the doubt of dark away. Giver of immortal gladness. Would you fill us with the light? The light of day. Sister Act, come on. Okay. All right. Whatever. What we discover is the best thing for us is to take our eyes off of ourselves and find pleasure in praising God in the person of Jesus. It's the best thing. It's, it's, it's for his sake. It's for our sake. But then finally, it's for the sake of others. Loving God is for the sake of others. You go back to Matthew 22. It's interesting. It almost sounds like maybe Jesus didn't quite get the question. So um, when he says, teacher, which command is in the law is the greatest? Command, singular. Maybe Jesus didn't hear him, but he gives him two commands. He says, love the Lord your God. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, did Jesus misunderstand? Jesus, you get one commandment, man. That's two. No, what is he saying here? To love God is to love others. It is impossible for us to love our God with all our heart and not love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to talk about that more next week. But Jesus, of course, led the way in this. When he called his disciples in, in these last hours before he died, he said, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was gonna be the great demonstrator of what true love looks like. And what does it look like? Verse 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. 
Jesus will not invite us into anything that he has not done himself already. And Jesus, his own seed died on the cross and was buried in the, in the ground, but it didn't stay there, did it? What did, what did John, Jesus say in John 12 would happen if the seed was buried in the ground? It would burst forth with life. And it wasn't just his life. Jesus is what the Bible calls the first fruits. Those of us that are believers in Christ today in this room are alive because he didn't remain alone. Because he died in the ground for us. And 1 Corinthians 15 says Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Amen. This is what our God has done for us. And so Jesus... Jesus shows us through his both modeling and empowering us on the inside, right? To die to ourselves. The best thing for us is to die to self and live for the people around us. And so the rest of this month, we're going to look at this together in this vision series about what it looks like to love God, which is to also love the people around us. Give ourselves to him and give ourselves to others. So how do we do this? Well, we know we, we can't offer anything out of our own of our own strength, right? So we know, what's the, what's the best way to, to love somebody? As we come to delight in our God, we come to be, God doesn't just say, here, I'll give you a sip, right? We come to him thirsty, and he's like, here's just a little bit. That's good. That's all you get. God says, come, take your cup under my waterfall of grace and be overfilled with my love. And what happens is that cup overflows it spills out, and it affects those around us. That's why the, the only way we can love others is to be filled and overflowed with the love of God. John Piper, again, he says it this way, the worship of God is the fuel of mission. If we just tell everybody, go ye, go into all the world. If we're running on our own strength, we're going to be running on fumes by the time we get out that door. But as we worship God, as we find love and satisfaction in him, as our hearts unfold like flowers before him, what we're going to find is an overflow in our hearts from which we can offer true love, the love of God to people around us. So for the next 10 years at Peninsula Grace, we want to walk intentionally together in the purposes and the plan of God. In order to do that, we need to have a vision. We need to have God's vision of what the good life looks like. What does it look like to bring Jesus's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven the first thing we have to do, if we're on a mission, what needs to be accomplished? Well, there's something that needs to be, something that's not done, something that's incomplete. What are we on? Well, we ask ourselves, what is the main problem in our world today? There are plenty of problems. We can look around, we can see poverty, we can see war. People argue about climate change. We can talk about who's on Capitol Hill. But we know those are not the central problems. The problem underneath all of those problems is that God is not loved rightly. He is not worshipped rightly. Because here's the deal. If we loved and trusted and obeyed our good, good father, there would be no war. There would be no poverty. But the solution to all sin and death is through Jesus to love God rightly, to trust him and obey him. The reality is today, many people will die. And they say that 60% of those people will die without ever have, having heard the name of Jesus. Now, that, that doesn't mean that 40, the other 40% will be with Jesus when they die. It's saying that 60% of the people who die today have never even heard the name of Jesus. And I, am, I want to live in a world, I want to live in a world where everybody has had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. It's their decision if they follow him or not. 
I want to live in a world where everybody has been given access to hear the good news of what he's done for them. So what do we do? Well, we, we, as always, we have to start with our own hearts. What is God calling me to do? I can't point the finger and say, this is what everybody else should be doing. Why isn't the church doing this or that? It's me. What, 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 what's my own heart? Where, where am I starting with? So I have like 50 years plus or my, I mean, who knows? Either before Jesus comes back or, or I go to be with him. How am I going to spend those years that he's gifted me on this planet? The vision has to start back with that little seed. A seed that's invited to die to itself, to find life and light in the sun. Love the opening of, of John chapter 1. He says, the word, Jesus, became flesh. He gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So I have to realize that I'm a dead bulb if I don't connect to the life source. And then, when I am connected to Jesus, I can sing the little kid's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, take it into the dark and dead places in the world. On the Kenai Peninsula, let's just start a little bit closer to home here. They say that one in every three people on the peninsula claim to have some sort of religious affiliation. Now, that does not mean that one-third of all the people on the peninsula are following Jesus as his disciples, saying they're cl claiming some sort of association with a religion of some sort. So there are far less people than that that are actually following after Jesus. And within about a 20-minute drive of us, uh, there's about 37,000 people, individuals. So if we just play, those, play that math out, that means there, there are at least 25,000 people who live within a 20-minute drive of this gymnasium who do not know, who are not walking in the light and the life of Jesus. We have plenty of work to do right here in our own backyard. And what I want to imagine as we look forward to what the next 10 years look like, I imagine Peninsula Grace is a welcoming place for those to come just as they are. That the broken, including us, would come and find wholeness in the person of Jesus. That each of us in this room would become a, a seed that would die to itself and become a field of flowers. That we would open to that sun above and that we would find a fruitful life in Jesus. That we would love each other in such a radical way that we would be a light in the community around us. People can't help but see Jesus, not as a little iPhone flashlight, that we'd be a flood of light that we would be fireworks, that we'd be the, as bright as the noonday sun to the people in our area. I want to be a part of a church that makes fruitful disciples who take the love of Jesus into our homes, into our workplaces, into the homeless shelters, into the assembly, uh, the, the uh, borough assembly thing. I don't know. I'm not in politics. Into Senor Panchos, right? In the nombre de Jesus, amen. Okay. English speakers, um, we want to go. We want to go to all places, pointing all of our resources toward the kingdom of Jesus, and then let that ripple from this peninsula out to Alaska and into the regions beyond. And I want to be a part of the Holy Spirit's global movement, where seeds are being planted and dying, so that we see disciple making disciples born, that we see church planting churches born. And I want that to be the dream that gets us out of bed in the morning. I want to be that to be the, the blood that's running through our veins. That everything that we do would be to bring the light and life of Jesus into a world that is dark and dying. That's the mission we've been called to. 
So in your bulletin, if you have one, if not, I got it on the screen here. I want to just read through this. We're going to be unpacking this over the next three weeks and then more so into the next 10 years. What does this look like? So starting next year in 2022, we want to start taking these baby steps in this direction. And really, it's on the back of what we've been doing here at the church for 38 years, right? We're continuing in that direction. But what do the next 10 look like? What do the next 10 years look like? Got this on the screen for you. It's just the same thing. I want to credit the Village Church, Matt Chandler, and their, their uh, church did a series uh, on, on vision. And some of these ideas of the general formatting was helpful from them to borrow from. So just credit where credit's due. So we first look at our vision and our passion and our mission as a church. And some of this, pardon the the smaller print, but I just wanted to get it all up there at the same time. I'll read it aloud too. So our vision, we believe God's vision for Peninsula Grace is to be a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. That's already been our vision statement for the last several years. Our passion is to obey the great commandment, love God and love others. Jesus just told us what our purpose is, right, in Matthew 22, to love God and love others through obeying the great commission. How do we live that plan out? Well, we make disciples of all nations, just like, again, Jesus told us to. To the glory of God, through faith in the work of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's our mission. To help the broken find wholeness in Jesus. That's just a restating of what has been our mission statement for years, Colossians 1.28, to present everyone complete in Christ. So how do we live this out over the next 10 years? We say it this way, in light of that vision, here's a snapshot of what we are currently working toward. We hope and pray that by 2032, 10 years from next year, it could be said of Peninsula Grace Church. And we start here in our family, and then we ripple out. We welcome those who recognize their brokenness and need for a Savior to grow in grace as members of Jesus' body. What does that look like here? That every member of Peninsula Grace would be consistently engaged in these things that Jesus has for us, to be in gospel-centered learning, to be reproducing disciple, in reproducing discipleship, to be part of awestruck worship, to be part of a compassionate community and an egoless servanthood. We pursue discipleship for all ages and stages of life, specifically equipping parents as primary disciple makers of their children. So we want life to look like here at Peninsula Grace, and then beyond that, into our community. Say locally, we are growing. How? By making and sending disciples of Jesus and sacrificially partnering with church planting and revitalization efforts here on the Kenai Peninsula. How do we do that? We take the gospel wide into our community by taking the gospel deep with our church family. We'll talk about this, what these things mean as we continue along. And then we go out to Alaska. Across Alaska, we're partnering with churches and organizations to see churches planted and revitalized where there is no gospel-centered church. We have a healthy, ongoing, mutually encouraging relationship with a sister, Alaskan sister village church. And then to the ends of the earth, globally, we are meaningfully partnering with, supporting, and sending disciple-making missionary units and church planters to the least reached peoples on earth. That's what we're doing with, with Jesse right now. Send them. And finally, we are helping take the gospel of King Jesus to every tongue, to every tribe, and every nation. Now, we talk about this vision that we have for where we're going forward. How do, we, how do we come to this? It wasn't like, you know, when Saul goes on the road to Damascus and gets knocked off of his horse or donkey or whatever it was, and God speaks to him. It wasn't like the elders were driving to Kasilof, all piled into a Toyota Camry, and then God just, like, shone a light, and we all fell out of the Camry, and he's like, elders, here's your vision for a minute. That's not what happened, okay? So this vision came from years, especially this last year, of prayer, pouring over God's word, conversations with each other, with leaders. We had a whole retreat where we invited our leaders to talk and pray through this. This is us humbly basing what we know of in God's word 
How we, how we, really, how do we live this out? This is not us telling God, this is what we're gonna do for 10 years and then just give us some Jesus sprinkles on top of it to bless it. We're not telling God what our vision is. He informs us how we live and, and what direction we go. And this is written in pencil, right? Figuratively, of course, not on the screen in pencil. It will change, it will change. I, I can almost guarantee you that in 10 years, this is not what things are gonna look like. We all know how much can change in one year, let alone 10 years. So we're not boasting about tomorrow, claiming this is what will happen. We're humbly charting a trajectory forward based on what God has revealed to us in his word and how we believe the Holy Spirit would have us live that out intentionally as a body. So this is the next few weeks, as we look at the next 10 years, we wanna say first, what is our purpose? Well, we said this week, it's to love God. And then linked with that next week, we're gonna say, what does it look like to love others around us? So we know that's what Jesus wants from us. So how do we live that out? What's his plan? Well, week three, we're gonna see that he says to go in all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded of them. And what is the context for those disciples to flourish? It's in a church. We plant churches. He said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the DNA of this purpose and plan is love. It starts with the seed and in love, we give ourselves, so we go out sacrificially giving of ourselves so that more people would be able to unfold their hearts toward God and the Son. So where do we start? What does it practically mean to die to ourselves and live to God daily? Just two quick thoughts and then we'll be done. So first of all, our focus. So where we focus our, our eyes, our, our attention, our heart eyes is where we will go. You ever notice if you're driving down the road and you look off to the side, where does your car start going, Right? Keep your eyes on the road, fool. What we're looking at is what we become, is the direction we head in. So think about it very practically. Throughout my day, who am I thinking about more, God or myself? We just tabulate that up. I would be embarrassed to look at the results of that, right? And if we're looking in a mirror all day long, either how amazing I am or how awful I think I am, I'm thinking about myself and who am I going to be obsessed with? Who am I thinking about first? Who am I loving most? Myself. Matt Chandler says, the best way that I can love my church, love my neighbor, love my family is by actually loving Jesus the most. It's filling that cup of water up to be able to offer it to those around us. So how do we shift that focus? Like John the Baptist says, more of you and less of me. How do we turn our hearts away from ourselves which is the best thing for me, to my God. Well, to change that focus, we have to build new habits into our lives. Remember, we said at the outset that our, our vision of the good life is gonna shape every habit that we develop. And the habits we have developed are, are heading us in a direction. So how do we turn the heart toward our Father? Well, it's been said that we overestimate how much we can do in one day or one year, but underestimate how much we can do in 10 years. That you might hear, I mean, if you were here last week with Dawn, like what a, what a brother, what an inspirational message. I mean, I, after I hear Dawn preaching, I'm gonna go run through a brick wall for Jesus, right? I'm gonna go get it. Because I'm gonna sell everything I own. I'm gonna move to Africa. And I'm just gonna get all this stuff at once, God, right? To slow your roll, Frank, you know. We, we think we're gonna do all at once. That's not how this is gonna work. We overestimate how much we can do in one day, but we underestimate how much we can do in 10 years. What he's calling us into is that to develop small and simple steps, but consistently build habits in a way that orients our heart toward the true north of, of Jesus. So how do we cultivate these habits to love God? We said to love God is to enjoy him. So how do we make some habits this week? What does it look like to enjoy him alone, just us and him? Maybe for you, it's saying, you know what, this week, I'm gonna make a small little 
I'm gonna make a small little commitment and say 10 minutes a day, I'm gonna give to my God. I'm gonna spend time with just me and him. Maybe it's just listening, it's talking to him, just being honest with where you're at. It's opening the word and trying to understand what you're reading. Maybe it's for, maybe you're, you're a walker going into the woods, whatever it is. I'm gonna be still and know that you are God, Lord, for 10 minutes a day. You can build on that, right? So I gotta start with 24 hours in the day. And maybe it's, how do I enjoy him with others? Because some of us are going, I have no idea what to do next. And you look around this room, say, who could I, just a friend, someone that I know that also is trying to love Jesus, ask him for coffee, ask him for lunch, and just talk about him, right? Think about this together, pray, just turn our hearts toward him together. Maybe it's as a family, what does that look like? Maybe we're going to say, just one time this week, we want to sit down and just sing a song together to Jesus. We're going to read a passage, we'll pray together. Maybe it's going, how do I plug into the Jesus family? It's so much sweeter. What he's intended for us is to do this together. So maybe it's stepping out from the Sunday morning gathering into a, try, just trying out a small group. Saying, I'll, I'll go check it out, see if the Lord would lead me that way. What I want us to imagine this month is what, the, what small habits we can build toward for over the next 10 years as a church to spend our time wisely building into this kingdom. I want us to end, as the, the band's going to come up here, I want to end with Psalm 67. This is a prayer that just plugs in so well uh, with, with the prayer of, of, of blessing, blessing the nations as we enjoy our God. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to close our time here as we transition into some, some final songs. We're praying Psalm 67. This is a prayer from the, the psalmist, and we want to pray this together. So as I put the words on the screen, I just would invite you to say it out loud along with me. So let's pray Psalm 67 together. Ready? May God be merciful and bless us. May his face smile with favor on us. May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvests, and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us, and people all over the world will fear him.